We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. Myself, Mark Crossfield, and Lou Stagner. Today, we are talking about, well, we're talking about life-changing moments that might affect your golf. Uh, Lou posted an interesting tweet in the week, which is just related to marriage. We're not particularly talking about marriage being good or bad, but I'm sure we'll joke about those kind of things as we go. It's actually really talking about the many life-changing things that happen to us if you play golf for a certain period of time. So for me, I've played golf as a junior, then I've got married and had kids and I'm in the profession of golf. So I've had lots of different changes and I've learned to adapt my golf, which we'll talk about this evening. Uh, I know Lou's had similar experiences. Should be a fun one. Lou, Welcome. Meeting you was a life-changing experience for me. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I'm going to assume good. Um, I'm not going to ask, though. I'm just going to stay right there in that lane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So talk us through the tweet you posted. It was an interesting tweet. There's no names associated to any of the data. And also, I'm pretty sure you're saying that the data is more just an interesting look into when PJ Tour players got married and what happened to their performance afterwards. And at no point, I think we're saying that these are the facts of what happens. It was more, you were just looking, it was questions people were asking you, I think you said, wasn't it like what happens when people get married? Was that the, the responses you were getting? Yeah, I, I've received that question a lot. I get a lot of um, really interesting questions in my DMs. Um, and I, I try to, to get through most of them. Um, I always find some, some really good ones in there. And this is a question I've received many, many times over the last few years, uh, 20 or 30 times. Um, and it's either around what happens to players after they get married, what happens to players after they have kids, have a kid. And yeah. um, so, so I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. And, and I finally said to myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to spend 30 minutes and I'm, I'm going to go and look up uh, players and see when their wedding gates were. A friend of mine also went out and grabbed a few players and sent them to me and ended up uh, getting 20 players. Um, and we picked players all the way from back to 1983, all the way through, uh, you know, 2020, 
one. So there's some players in that list that are, you know, they got married back in the, you know, the mid or late eighties. And, and so what I did was for these 20 players, which I don't want to say they were randomly selected because they weren't uh, these are players that I kind of went through and went, you know, how many rounds do they have? Well, you know, about when do, do, did they get married? Some of them I knew. Um, and so I, it's not a random selection at all. It's 20 players just to kind of see what, they looked like and then i went and i calculated their 20 round moving average for uh strokes gain total so you know for every round that i look at what was their average strokes gain total over their last 20 rounds and then when we go to the next round uh, again that is inclusive of their last 20 rounds and that's their average strokes gained total and I showed the hundred rounds before they got married and a hundred rounds after. And then I sort okay. of um, made this, I removed all the numbers uh, from the graphs. I called, uh, I never, I didn't call out any players' names because uh, this was not intended to be, you know, a, a comment one way or the other on whether you should or shouldn't get married. Um, yeah. And this was just, <laughs> just imagine if it yeah. was, just no, imagine if that was your decision. No, not at all. <laughs> Um, and, and so, and, and I also kind of played with the scale a little bit, so you couldn't look at it and go, oh, that's Tiger Woods. Like, look at that. Like yeah. he just gains way more strokes than everyone else. That has to be Tiger. So I changed yeah. the scale. So you, you wouldn't be able to guess who any of these players are. Um, yeah. so if you was, want to look up the tweet, it is on your feed, isn't it? Yeah, it's on my feed. Now, I, I tweeted it out on, uh, October 17th. Uh, so you'll, you'll find it there. Um, and it was really interesting because of the 20 players we looked at, most of them saw a decline after that life event. Um, again, this is not a peer reviewed academic study. This was 20 <laughs> semi-randomly grabbed players just to see what it happened. It sounds like more like a chat in the bar and a rat after playing yeah. with some mates and you yeah. just opening your phone. It's, and a, like doing... <laughs> it's a little past being anecdotal. Um, yeah. So there's definitely some data here. And I, I think it's a thread you could pull and, and, and do a more in-depth study. But it was really interesting to see how many players sort of saw some pretty big the declines climb like after that life event. So, uh, and as someone who's, you know, gone through a marriage and having a child, um, my golf was impacted, you know, my time yeah. became, I became interested, you know, less interested in golf and more interested in my family. Uh, and so yeah. I didn't play as much and my golf suffered because of it. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think that these players are, are, you know, any different than me other than they're extremely talented. Um, so I'm sure they probably go through, some of the same things we all do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the main point when I saw it, you shared it with me. And I think the main point is it made me think, well, this is something that many of our listeners will potentially go through, going through or have been through. Um, uh, So it's something that where you can reflect and think about what you could do differently. And it's something that you can prepare for. And it doesn't have to be marriage. It could be anything. It'd be a job change. You know, I know lots of people. I used to teach in central London. And I would have people come, really hard to play golf in central London, though, unless you're extremely wealthy. It's just really hard because all the courses are at least like a good hour's drive. And lots of people in central London who earn very good money don't have cars. And lots of the ones I was teaching don't because they come over on a two-year working for some bank kind of work deal and they don't want to buy a car. You can get everywhere around on the tube and the buses in London. So 
they would go from playing lots of golf back home in Australia or America or wherever they were to moving to London for a job change. And then they're literally playing once every two weeks if they're lucky at a weekend. So it doesn't have to be marriage. It's just your original data was based around that because it was probably one of the easiest things to find data on as in when they were married and what have you. Um, So it can be any of those things that I think lots of people would experience. So when you got married and had your child, I mean, you pretty much stopped playing golf. You went from playing golf a lot, I think, to literally not playing. Is that yeah? I went to, I played a ton of golf um, when I was Were you like single. three times a week? Were oh, no. Like... I mean, I was at the, I was at the golf course every single day. Like there wasn't, wow. I was there seven days a week and yeah, I practiced a ton and I played a ton. Um, and they're really, I'll say six days a week. I would, I would generally take Mondays off when, when the course was closed, but there were still right. some Mondays where I'd go and I'd practice. Um, so I was yeah. there all the time. And when I was at home, I was practicing at home and, and I put a significant amount of effort into it. And if you've ever played with me and seen my swing, you'll know why, um, <laughs> when you, you got to move like that, you got to work hard to, to maintain all the quirks. Control it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so I put in a ton of time and then afterwards, you know, my focus, uh, I still love golf, but I, you know, I didn't just didn't have the time to, to put into it. So I went from playing yeah. a ton to not really playing at all. Um, I would, I was maybe, you know, three to five rounds a year. Uh, and I would wow, never, never like practice. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, I so mean, I, I, you, when you got years, to your hand, you got to scratch, didn't you? You got to scratch. Oh yeah. yeah I was down at, I was down to scratch for years and years and years and was decent enough to play in and qualify and play in the state am a few times. I was, I was never good enough to be good enough there, but I was good enough to occasionally make it if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah it does. And, and then, you know, I have a, you know, my swing has a, as you know, you've seen it has a lot yeah. of things that are very timing based. And when I hit a lot of golf balls, I can, I can get it around pretty decent, but when I don't hit a lot of golf balls, it can become a real big struggle. And when I came back after you know when i started to get back into it after being away for a while it was super challenging um and even mm-hmm. you know when i was um, only playing three or five times a year and not practicing like you would see me play and i could kind of get it going and shoot you know 73 or i could be like who knows what's going on and shoot 96 like it was yeah yeah, yeah. it was pretty ugly uh, uh and it was more ugly than it was good back then as well because i just yeah, didn't play absolutely another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, I mean, what can golfers do to try and, uh, you know, if this is something that's happening or it might happen in the future where something does change in your situation, what can you do to get the most out of your golf game? Because it's something we talked about before we started the podcast and, you know, you, I think uh, something you said, Lou, was something, how, how do you stay sharp? Like, how do you actually stay sharp when you're not able to get the golf course? And we'll talk about that. But I often think for people who are going through these changes, you have to, the biggest thing is changing your expectations going back in. 
So the, the biggest problem that I see with golfers have who come back is they get disillusioned quickly because they're trying to reclaim what they had before. But what they had before was similar to you. They played a lot more. They lived and breathed it. You know, they, they didn't do really much else in their social world apart from that. Now they're coming back with less time, more commitments in other parts. There's a good chance you're not going to reclaim. So just the first thing to really accept is changing those expectations for lots of golfers. A bit different on the PGA Tour because obviously they have got the opportunities. But sometimes, I mean, I remember talking to Luke Donald and him saying that sometimes it's like hard to go out and practice. You have to really make yourself practice. And this wasn't far off him being the world number one as well. Like this wasn't like yesterday. This was a few years ago we filmed with Luke a couple of times. And um, we were talking and, you know, you could see that there were other things pulling on his life. He was affluent. He lived in a nice area. He's got wife and children and he's might even have other hobbies outside. So I think changing those expectations is one of the first things you can really arm yourself with. And it's something that I've had to have done. You know, I, I have completely changed my expectations to the point now where, and this is another good thing for people to try and think about doing possibly is I've changed where I get my enjoyment from golf. So I used to get my enjoyment from golf from competing. I used to get my enjoyment from golf from being as good as I could be and then putting myself into fields that were what, you know, some of the best fields that I could get myself into, international fields, county fields, those kinds of things, and then still competing in those tournaments. That's where I got my enjoyment, where the thought of doing that now to me, well, as we stand recording this podcast, I mean, I might do it again one day, but I can't imagine ever wanting that again. The commitment it took, the disappointment, as well as the highs and the lows, was just not where my enjoyment comes from now. I So I've actually shifted what, where I get my enjoyment from. And I'm lucky because obviously it's part of my job, but the travel part, we do a lot. Uh, uh, that's just, I love that part, seeing new courses, playing other courses. And for me, getting to choose to play with the people I want to play with, that's a sure. massive thing for me. Yeah. I get to choose. I, I play with Matt often, who's a friend as well as a colleague. Um, and we have a lot of fun together playing on the golf course. The fact that I can choose who I'm playing with, and Rory as well, who joins us, is great fun. Even though he's a wild golfer, we still have a laugh. Um, that's where I get my enjoyment from the game more now. So I've had to just completely change where I get my enjoyment from. Have you been similar? I mean, you still try and compete though, I guess, but maybe not to the same level. Have you changed those expectations or those desires? Um, a little bit. Um, I, I've been, I've missed it uh, terribly while I was away. And I, I'm finally, you know, just getting getting back to the point where I feel pretty comfortable and, and I, I'm a, I'll, I'll probably start playing a little competitive competitively next year. Cool. Um, yeah. which I haven't done in a long time. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be fun. I don't know how I'll end up, but I, I missed that part of it. And so this is the kind of thing where I don't have anywhere near as much time as, as I used to. And so I need to be very intelligent and very smart about how I practice. Um, and yeah. I need to try and, uh, you know, find other opportunities away from the golf course to, uh, to do some things. So like as someone that teaches the swing to people, like what are some of the places you would, you would start with? Let, let's rewind to me, like having yeah. a, a young baby and I'm really not playing, not going to the golf course. Um, what could I have done to try and keep sharp and and 
Um, you know, let's start off with, I, we all know putting, I could get a, a mat and I could, uh, you know, putt at home, shorter putts yep. beyond that. What, what could I do to try to help keep my swing in, in shape without yeah, hitting golf balls? I, yeah. A hundred percent. It's, you know, it's again, it's never gonna, whatever you do is not going to be as good as practicing. That's the first thing you've got to realize, but you can certainly stay sharper than not doing anything at all. All the students I worked with over the years who did what I called off course work. So they would go home and let's say we're doing a grip change in their lessons. They would not hit balls between lessons because they couldn't, they were busy working, but they would pick the club up each day for five minutes. They would do some of the drills I gave them, pick it up and try and get it over each shoulder. If they're not going to do anything in their house or take the club to the garden and make sure they can swing it at different speeds, you know, do it with the driver, do it with an iron. Because obviously your grip looks different when you've got different handle leans subject to my driver, for instance, I'm behind the ball more. So I see less knuckles than I do than if I'm on top of it with an eye and a fraction more. So just changing that grip and make sure you're picking up different clubs to do those practice swings uh, was, was a great way of them coming back to the lesson. And that's not just having to repeat lesson number one or whatever number lesson it was in. So any of the students who did off course work, generally would improve at a much faster rate and generally i felt like we're getting more value for the money the people who didn't do the off course work and then in turn didn't have time to practice in between uh, i'd said this to you jokingly at the start when i needed my teaching to earn me my living they kind of they're just bread and butter students that you have to do they come and you book them in because they want to come but you they're quite demoralizing as a coach because you know they're not really going anywhere because they're not putting anything you're putting more effort in than them when coaching changes and my coaching changes over the years with the video production and my prices and lessons and what have you changed when you're able to be more selective about who you're coaching coaching people who want to put more effort in than you do the off work stuff swing in front of mirrors speed training something people can always do at home with supervision as long as they you know follow programs and get some professional helps that will only work for them when they get to a golf course if they get back to a golf course and they're stronger there's a good chance they're going to be able to play for longer they'll be able to play better and they might even hit it further uh, other things i would say to people as well is like get a lesson telling that pro that you're you know i'm not gonna be playing very much so what can i do rather than my generalized podcast ideas actually Hmm. what can me jim or margaret whoever's listening to the podcast i know i'm not going to play as much go to a coach and say that i'm gonna i've gone from playing three times a week i'm gonna go to once every month what can i do in between can you give me some ideas built around things i know need improving in my game So a coach will be able to see your bigger pitfalls. Let's say it's too much curvature on a driver. I mean, there were plenty of movements with students that if it wasn't for the fact that they would get bored, if I used to say to students, if it was life and death, so by next week, you didn't hit this shot shape that you're hitting and it was life or death. Literally, if you don't do it, we terminate you and it's done. You wouldn't hit any golf balls. I would say to him, you would hit literally no golf balls and you would hit one ball on that life or death moment and we would change you. Because every time you try to hit the golf ball, you regress to the mean. You regress back to what your definition of hitting a golf ball is. 
getting them to make abstract moves away from the ball is boring. People don't want to pay for that, but it would have massive effects for changing movement patterns for people. Uh, it's no different to speed training, if you think about it. The speed training just works, as in if you practice getting faster, you will get faster, subject to you having any kind of body of issue, issues that we don't know about. Um, and 99.9% .9 of that, if not 100% of it, can be done away from a golf ball because it's the abstractness of hitting the ball that often can slow people down. It makes them regress back to their safety zone a little bit. So I think there's lots of things you can do. Certainly getting a lesson which is specific to you, telling that coach what the plan is, I am going to be playing less and I would like to hit it further, hit it with less curvature. I would be able to like to chip better those kind of things, whatever they are, there'll be drills that can be specifically given to you that will help. I mean, I improved my chipping in lockdown in my garden. I'm lucky I have a, a putting green out in my garden, but if I didn't, I would have still done it. I'd have done it in yeah. the living room. I'd have done it in the front garden, which is grass, because we were locked in England for nearly eight months in our first lockdowns over two sessions. Um, my chipping went from, I grew up chipping was my strength, chipping, putting it in its straight. That was my strength. And I became an adult, didn't play much, life changes like we're talking about. My chipping just literally disintegrated, close to yippy, like flinchy, really? fat spins, like embarrassed. Yeah, it was just so boring. So my driving never changes. My driving's just straight. Like it's never, I don't even have to think. I very I don't really practice driving. I never practiced it as a kid. I just hit it and it goes straight. My own play never really changed. My approach play is decent and it stays my putting is generally decent that hasn't really spiked or gone up or gone down it, it moves with the amount of practice but it's reliable i don't need to practice putting every day for it to be okay chipping just literally went and it was so boring like it, it was making me think like this it's not as much fun on the course now because like i'm hit playing lots of decent shots and then i get 20 yards off the green and now i'm taking four to get down like what is this is ridiculous um so i spent most of lockdowns practicing my chipping and my chipping at the moment again is back to me not really having to think about it it is just hmm. okay it is just respectable um and again that was all off course that was all off course when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I used to say to students as well, just another little point. So I play tennis as a hobby. I don't play as much now. I used to play lots when I was younger and um, life changes and all. And um, I, um, I was very confident with my forehand and my backhand was really weak, really good at a slice, but a topspin backhand was just like not my shot. I just was so weak with it. And I would play in some decent club level matches in B teams and A teams in leagues and people would find that weakness and just keep hitting it there. And that used to make me so angry. So when my first <laughs> was born, when Fanula, my eldest, was born, my first was born, I used to put her down to sleep in her room and she had a lovely big window. And when it was dark, I could see my reflection in it. And as she was nodding off to sleep, I would practice my backhand in that reflection every night when I put her down to sleep. My backhand now is better than my forehand. Wow. Can you believe that? So I flipped it completely off court 
by just doing practice swings every day. And what's so mental is I'm left-handed at tennis. So my backhand is the same side as my golf swing, if that makes any sense, put it in the right. context, because yep. I'm left-handed at tennis. So the fact that you put the ball on the side that feels most natural for me to hit it, and I was rubbish at a shot, annoyed me internally so hard that I just fixed it and actually switched it all off court all in basically Fanula's bedroom when I was meant to be putting her to sleep. <laughs> so let, let, let me ask you this. So way back when my daughter was born, um, you know, things like TrackMan and GC2 existed, that? right? Yeah, it would have been GC2, HMT, GC2. yeah. So, and, and I, I did not have one of those. And eventually I got myself a SkyTrack and that was probably 2016. Yeah, I probably had it yeah. five years now, 2016. Um, and I never um, would hit balls into, I had the, I had the space to hit balls into a net, um, but I never did because I I'd always heard that, you know, hitting golf balls into a net with no feedback is really a bad idea for your game. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. And so after I eventually got my SkyTrack, um, I could hit balls and, and feel relatively comfortable um, and the feedback I was getting about where the ball was going uh, and allowed me to work on different things. And I did not have that for, you know, those years where I really wasn't playing much golf. And if I had something like that, I would have been out there, you know, every day, 20 minutes, I would have found time throughout the course of the day to get out there at some point and work on my game a little bit. Cause it's so much easier to, you know, walk into your garage or your room, wherever you have it set up and, and swing the club for 10 or 15 minutes um, and then Absolutely. go back to what you were doing as opposed to driving to a golf course somewhere. And, you know, and being, you can't go and hit golf balls for 10 minutes at the course and turn around and come back no. home. That really doesn't yeah, yeah. make sense. Um, so are you of the opinion that if you, let's say have a spot to hit golf balls indoors, but you do not have, a sky track or a Mevo plus, you know, one of the decent, you know, consumer grade yeah, launch yeah. monitors or above, should you not hit golf balls at all into a net? Um, so because I, it's bad right, for so your game. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, not a hundred percent. It's not true. Me personally, for me, yeah, completely hit balls in a net. No launch monitor is brilliant. Absolutely really? okay. brilliant. Yeah, that's how I practiced. The course I played, I had no practice area. You had a little strip of land where you had to hit the ball up the first, meaning you had to keep waiting every time someone played the first hole. So competitions day, you weren't allowed to practice because you weren't allowed to hit it up when there was competitions on. When the course was busy, if you loaded the first fairway with your practice balls, people would get a bit upset and angry. So it got a bit boring. We had nets. UK, you'll find lots of courses we don't have practice areas or certainly back when I was playing then. A uh, few more now as they're more modern ones have sprung up. Um, I practice predominantly in nets. No launch monitors back then. Okay. Um, and I, I, and I can do anything on a launch monitor so i can change any parameter delivery without affecting the other ones within reason so i'm very good if i deliver a loft i can deliver that same loft if i hit four up or four down so i can move one without moving the other and that is because i believe i practice so much in nets my feelings of a delivery is so tuned in well, so I, I got to interrupt. That, but yeah, go on then. I got to interrupt. That's you're, me personally. Yeah, you're a skilled player. 
Like, so not everybody that's listening um, is as skilled as you. So what about for the, you know, the typical weekend warrior, that's a, you know, 10 or a 12 handicap yeah, yeah. that, you know, has a life event and can't get to the golf course as much anymore. Um, and doesn't really want to buy a launch monitor. It, it's just, yeah, so it's this, not in the cards. Yeah. Should they hit into a net? Yeah, they should, but they should do it with purpose. What's the best thing for monitoring? We're hitting balls in a net. It's strike. And what the strike do, if you strike the ball in the same part of the face every time, and I don't care where that part of the face is. I don't care if it's the neck. If you strike it in the neck and shank it every time, you just aim 50 degrees left and shank it on target every time. It's repeatable. You can practice. <laughs> I got that shot. Strike. Yeah, yeah. You can practice striking a net. You can mark the face. You can learn what different strikes then start to feel like by marking the face and looking at where you've hit the ball on that face. The amount of students I teach that they strike it and I say, where do you hit it? And they go, I don't know. And I think, well, if you don't know where you've struck that, you're going to struggle to play this game because you are not going to be the self you're not going to be able to self diagnose at all on a golf course which means you're going to be so randomized with your ideas of a fix because you've towed that one and it's hooked left and you're looking at me like you've hooked it you haven't hooked it you've towed it but you're looking at me like you're thinking that you've closed the face and swung into out where the other ones that are fading you open the face and swung out to in no you struck them in two different places these are things in nets that you can actually get better at than you can on a golf course because it's controlled. It's what I call in my videos, dry ball data. It's perfectly controlled. You can practice low point. You can practice how much you're hitting that mat so, and how much. Yeah. You're so not. when you say low point, you can point, practice go, start go, direction. Wait, go into, go into um, detail on low point. So people understand. So if that you're part. hitting the ball and then the ground, if you're hitting the ground a foot behind and then the ball, if you're hitting the ball, an inch behind and then the ground work out where you are contacting that mat. Most mats, it'll leave a mark on the floor. If it doesn't, you can draw a chalk line, put a ball on the chalk line and see if you're disrupting the chalk line, put a chalk line on an inch behind or an inch in front. The biggest thing I think just hitting balls in a net with no advice, if you don't know what you're doing, I still think it's good because you'll work out what feels nice and what doesn't strike wise. And you'll want to repeat what feels good and what people tend to do if they don't get bored hitting in the net is they go, that felt good. What did I do there? What right. felt bad? What did I do there? And if they do that enough times, they get past the placebos. They start finding the actual patterns, but you have to do it enough times. Does that make sense? The placebos as in someone, it's a good strike. And they say, that's because I was angry. <laughs> you know well, I mean? <laughs> I mean, if you want to play good golf, you need to be angry. It's, it's just you, obvious. You see, what, I, you see yeah. what I'm saying? That What happens is you actually start seeing past your own placebos. We're on a golf course. If you're hitting the ball 80 times, 84 times, 90 times, 102 times, and 30 or 40 or 35 of those are putts, like you're not actually in that many shots. Like if 10 of them are chips, it's like you're not, you're not in that many shots to get past those placebos where in a net, you absolutely can. The only reason I didn't train in nets with students more, again, is because it's boring. They want to see the ball fly. I'm sure. selling a product. They want, they're going to pay me money. I can do the right thing in coaching and not have a full diary or I can try and do the right thing with having a full diary. Again, that goes back to my point. If soon as you can get the people who put more effort into you, so you can afford to teach the people who actually want to do it right, that's where the really big rewards are with coaching, because it's like you see these massive, huge leaps with golfers, because you're not 
having to manage their placebo comments each time. You know, when I move my knuckle like this, I always hook it. Well, if you always hook it, just hit it and aim right. Like if you always do something, keep doing it. Um, but yeah, so I think there's absolutely loads you can learn in a net. You just might need a little bit of guidance, which again, it would be going to a pro. Look, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be hitting in my net. What can I do? And a good pro who's got access to nets like lots would, certainly in the UK courses, will take you in the net and go, well, hit some strikes and we're going to work on, I want you to tell me what you think is a good contact of the ball and the mat. And I'll tell you what a good one is. And you can then go away and try and find that feeling a bit more in your own time. And start direction in nets is the easiest thing to practice because you get a little ridge in the net. <laughs> you can yeah, hang a bit or of you can, if you need. You, you can hang a rope. Um, launch yeah. angle you can practice in a net so how to hit it lower how to hit it higher these are right. all things that i spent years doing as a kid in a net because we didn't have a practice area and this is now where when i get on a launch run or i can move nearly any dyna dynamic and i also believe it's why when i get on a golf course i'm relatively straight because i was never really looking at distance i was just constantly focused on strike start direction and launch of that shot so i just grooved a very repeatable pattern that I could then take to the course. It didn't really feel any different. It, it, it felt the same. So I think there's loads people can do. I mean, the thing to remember if you're having these life changes is it will be, some of it might be boring and you might choose that it is too boring. You don't want to put on your carpet. You don't want to chip onto your sofa. You don't want to swing in front of the glass doors in the reflection. So then that's what you have to do. What I've done, which is change expectations and find out actually, do I get more enjoyment from my golf because i go and see you know katie and paul my mates at the weekend who i get to play with and we chat about how our kids are doing our works go while shooting eight over now rather than level par or 20 over now rather than when i got to single figures so that's where i think you have to be um you know just balancing those expectations i think it's the same for the pga tour players as well i think that the reason you might see a drop off if it actually does come through, if you do biggest um, study that there is a drop off, I think they'll find their mojo again once they find how to balance all the life changes, whatever they may be, a shift in marriage status, a baby coming along, a loved one passing away, whatever they are, I think they'll, they'll have a grieving period or a celebration period or a life changing period, whatever the thing is. And then they'll regress generally back to the mean. They'll find time to practice. They'll find except, except enjoyment for, in practice. Except for player 11. So if you if find my tweet, 11, player yeah. 11 is is bananas. Like player 11 is a roller coaster what player ride. 11 is, definitely yeah. put it in the comments. But player 11, player you can 11, argue player yeah. 11. So just for anyone who's not seen the tweet, who's listening, player 11, think of like waves on like if you drew waves as a kid that's what player 11's um ability to score is doing they are having highs big dip highs big dip high massive dip high massive dip after and then a medium after their marriage status um i would say player 11's use to being a little bit volatile anyway <laughs> player 11 has a lot of variants we'll just say that they're either <laughs> playing extremely well or they're not playing well at all and it's really it's it's interesting to to look at their their stats like this um i want to go back to you know hitting balls into a net when you don't have a launch monitor because yeah that's something that i would have probably done back in 2009 2010 
um, and would have done some of the things that I do now. So you brought up some great drills that you can do that I occasionally do now without hooking up my launch monitor. Um, so one of the things I'll work on is I will um, use uh, either a dry erase marker on the ball to see where it's making contact on the face, or I'll use you know, spray powder on the face to see where it's wet making wipes, contact. Well, and I do, kids, yeah, wipes, and I do a, a couple of, of things where like I will um, try to guess where I made contact. So I'll, I'll, hit, I'll hit the shot and I'll try to guess where I made contact and I'll track how I've done. Um, and then I'll do a, another one where I intentionally try to hit different parts of the face. And, and some like of these uh, are things that um, our friend Adam Young, who we had on the podcast um, yeah. earlier this year and, and, te and technically in season one of the pod, uh, you should go back yeah. and find that one. It was a great episode. It's something that he's been preaching for as long as he's been teaching. So I, I do that. And the other thing you brought up that I think is really interesting is um, working on start line. So yeah. the ball, uh, I think roughly the club face at impact is about 80% or more, 83% yeah, yeah, of start different line, somewhere around yeah. there. Um, yeah, so if, if you, if you put your ball down on your mat and you're in your garage and you have a net and you hang a ribbon down or a rope down, or there's a line on the net you're hitting into, um, and you are hitting it really close to that line intentionally, you have a pretty good start line. Like you have your club face is in a pretty good position at impact relative to where you're trying to start it. That's a great thing to work on. And I love the one too, where you talked about um, working on trajectory. So working on, yeah. on that and I hit the ball really high and uh, I, you know, I, I need to not flip as much, have my hands a little bit more forward. You can use all of the correct terms there. But one of the things I really worked on was I had a net and I, and I put some, I measured lines and I measured, you know, certain um, angles. So, you know, whatever club I had in my hand, if I had a nine iron and I was trying to keep it, you know, under 16 degrees, I had a 16 degree line on there and I could hit into it and I, and I could intentionally try to keep it under that. And that really helped to work on some feels and change some things. So they, I wish I would have um, had people that were, you know, saying things like that 12 years ago, because I would have yeah. completely changed how I approached the game back then. And I would have done a lot of these things indoors and like, you know, set up a net in my garage and I would have done that for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, things that you can get really ironed in on the hit balls in a net set up, like no excuses. You've got lines everywhere. You're generally going to be on a square mat if not put lines down. I used to play big amateur events with people with some wild setups. And I used to think, why are you giving shots away with that setup? Like, I can't imagine coming to this event with such a crazy setup. And then generally those people would be volatile. They would be good, 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 awful, awful, awful within a round. And I would right. just think, like, why are you not just getting some of the basics right? that work you know just fitting it into your movement pattern so it works for you um that used to always blow my head off and that was because i did loads of, of network like you can't get your setup wrong in a net like if you are you're going to struggle out on a golf course where you haven't got all the lines other things the net was really good at as well as making me understand what i could get over and what i could get under because you have a visual dent right in front of you of where i might be punching it under a tree or getting over a tree how quick does a wedge go up 
Christ, I've gone, I've hit the neighbors. That's gone over my net. You'll be amazed. Don't do this, but I've seen people do it. If you hit a 60 degree wedge hard, how quick that thing goes up and it'll go over your net. If you're in a garden, don't do it. Um, but it makes you then get on a golf course and think I can get over that. Like, I could, I could definitely get over that. Cause I could get over my net almost with my, you know, 52 degree wedge when I'm meter and a half away from it. And that, um bush or whatever is only slightly higher than that and i'm three meters away from it whatever like you do start really learning what launch looks like because it's stopped so quickly in front of you where obviously on a golf course you have no idea what launch looks like because by the time you see the ball it's hopefully 50 yards in the air flying off to 70 yards in the air flying off at speed hopefully so yeah network loads you can do nets are so cheap now amazon and what have you even hitting mats, it's just having a bit of space yeah, to them down yeah. and whack them. And make sure, and make sure like... you put something behind them because they always get a hole in and you don't see the hole. I used to put my daughter's um, gym mat when I was in lockdown, when yeah. I had a net set up to film, I put the gym mat behind it. So if it did go through the net, because you'll hit one and you won't realize you get a hole in it. Um, it would hit the gym mat because the other thing is, well, if you don't, you want to keep trying to use fresh balls, don't use old any balls or any cuts in and when they get you hit them a lot in a net they start roughing up that roughing hitting the net will cut it so like rotate the golf balls don't be stingy with that or you'll go through your nets really quickly yeah yeah for sure and if you're like me make sure you have a a a, a shank net on the right hand side yeah well uh, we had to yeah yeah because uh, i've done <laughs> we, that i've done that a couple yeah. of times um and it's um I now have protection in place to uh, to yeah, catch the shanks. Absolutely. And also with the net, which is really into, we had an online student during lockdown and just, just finished now, really good student. Um, he bought a net in his garden, lovely garden, and he had everything left to right in the air, everything cut, started a bit left and then would move off to the right. And then he would start it too far to the right. And he put the net in the middle of himself, so like most people do, they put the net down and then they hit into the middle of the net. And I just said to him, you need to hit into the left side of that net because you are not going to miss that net on the left. You are only going to miss it on the right. And my house is to the right of me when I was hitting in my garden during lockdown. I hit into the left side of the net. It's really hard to miss a net on the left. It's very easy to miss it on the right. So shank net, definitely, or even just angle it. I would get some students just to angle it a bit towards so the right side of the net angles towards them because nine times out of 10, they're in a toe or a shank and it's shooting to the right. The healy ones that go left, they generally don't have any sting in them. The shanks that go hard right, they've got some oh yeah yeah i've, I've, I've been so, there so did yeah, i do you yeah. i think i may have did i tell the story about when i first you got my you nets set up? up yeah your yeah, wife you like smashed you them off the, the garage <laughs> so um yeah please please be careful if you're going to hit inside and make sure you have something uh if you if you're prone to hitting the occasional shank like i am <laughs> yeah absolutely boxes are really good just put like if you get deliveries just wax some boxes behind there it always absorbs and you just if you close them over with a bit of tape it'll go through if it goes through the front of it it won't go through the second part of it so boxes are good for a bit of padding behind your net as well um there we go hopefully that helps people with some ideas i mean the other moral to the story is maybe you should just not have any life changes and i know that sounds silly and joking but if you think about it lots of the world's best golfers 
are very much in a bubble up until that stage where they meet that loved one, often maybe as a little bit older aged, because they're they're such superstars, if you like, that they're they're like consumed by everything golf. They don't live, they're not going to the club like we are every Thursday night from 17 onwards, because they're busy being on the world stage as golfers. So I often think that's why with these graphs there is it'd be interesting to see a, a more in-depth study because I do think they've led very often quite sheltered what I would call real lives a little bit. And I reckon Tiger's a good example of that. And obviously he had his monumental collapse in his personal life, didn't he? I mean, you've got to have someone there who's very much in an unrealistic bubble life, haven't you? Yeah. Um, and, if you make it to the PGA tour, you've put in a significant amount of time and effort on your golf game and, and sacrifice and say, so, sure. And, and I, I'm, I have to imagine, I, I don't know this, but I have to imagine there's a lot of players that go through and golf is, you know, it, it consumes 99% of their lives. Um, and then they, you know, things change, they get married, they have a few kids uh, or a kid. Uh, and they have different priorities at that point. And I'm, and I'm not saying that's bad or that's wrong. I think that's great. You know, I have great, yeah. a wife and a child and, and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, so when those things come along, you have to adjust. And if you're like me and you wanted to continue to play good golf, there's definitely things that looking back, I would have done much differently. And, and, and I don't want to say I would have played a whole lot more golf, but I think there's things I could have done off the golf course to at least help keep me a little bit sharp uh, for yeah, the few 100%. times that I was getting out there. And I, and I, I could have done more and I would have done more if I had this kind of, um, you know, guidance. Um, I, I don't know that anyone was talking a whole lot about that 12 years ago, 13 years ago, at least not that I saw. Uh, well, I mean, I've been talking about it for a while with students because it's how I grew up playing golf. So I yeah. felt like I had quite a good knowledge in it. The, the bigger problem I would say I had is all that we had is that people wouldn't come to me with that question. So I would never have a chance to ask. Yeah, it. that's that a makes great. Sense? Yeah, they would great be coming for lessons and yeah. then they would say, oh, I'm moving jobs next week. So I'm not going to see you again, but I'm going to try and get you know, some lessons when I, you know, wherever I'm going, I said, oh, you know, thanks. And then they would come back four years later, book a lesson. And I say, how's you go? I haven't played for four years. And I think, yeah, because that's what happens. You thought if you'd have told me you were going we, and you wanted to work on it, we could have, you know, if you told me you weren't going to have lessons, you said you were going to, I could easily have done a lesson showing you what you could done. It's more so definitely, you know, that's my main point. If, if it is something that something's changing for you and just have a lesson before you changes and say, you know, and then you choose to use the advice or not. It, you don't really lose apart from the money you've spent on that one lesson, but it certainly gives you some weapons. I have, I have one more question before we wrap up here. And you brought this up earlier around speed training. And so I've heard a couple yeah. of coaches say, and uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this, that it, when you embark on speed training, so using something like super speed or the stack system where you know, you're swinging a weighted club or different weighted clubs yep. with the intention of, you know, swinging as hard as you can uh, to gain speed. Um, I've had a few coaches say that just the, the, you know, doing that speed training like that, it can help some things out in your swing and actually 100%. maybe really. So, yeah, yeah. you're, so you're I the used same to boat. get people to, yeah, I used to get people to swing 
I had some very heavy things in the teaching studio. So what happens? Let's pretend like you, someone who stands the shaft up on the downswing. So anyone listening, so Lou can get a little bit standy up with the shaft and then he stands it up through impact. His hands get quite high. Um, you wouldn't swing a sledgehammer like that. You haven't got the strength. The sledgehammer would follow more its natural wanting to go behind you and then you would throw it out in front of you and then it would come back behind you you wouldn't be able to stand the sledgehammer up then drop it and then stand it back up with any kind of speed through impact it would hurt you so what happens is your body goes into defense mode and it lets the heavier thing just do a more natural path for want of a better word i used to get some of the craziest swingers in the world to swing heavier items we used to have i can't remember what it was called now but it was a yellow club with a training grip people might remember it was really heavy oh yeah yeah yeah. you remember those i remember people to swing swing that and they would set the club down on one angle and then you give them their light club and they would set it down on a completely different angle and i would say to them you swinging you buying one of these and swinging this for the next month don't play golf, don't hit balls. Try and recreate the feeling of that move. Like, don't just do that Like with any drill. Drills don't do anything. It's how you get the drill to reflect onto your swing is the actual skill. So whatever you do in training, I say this over and over again in videos, people go, give me a drill for this. Drills don't do anything. All the drill does is give you a feeling. The skill is using the drill and extracting the feeling into a real movement. Because what happens is the drill, if, it, if you're just doing the drill aimlessly, you don't pick up your club, you don't extract any of those feelings, and you don't, you don't just do magically do this new move. That's a myth. That, that doesn't happen. You've got to consciously still change. Um, so, yeah, swinging the heavier stuff for some people absolutely can transform. Interesting. So you think... But, um... but the other thing as well, sorry, the other thing of that with that as well is because it hasn't... The speed sticks and the stack system has no loft on it. There's no face with loft. Right. And what you all do is the angles and movements and shifts you put in all relate to delivered loft and loft as you swing it around your club, uh, as you swing it around your body. Everyone calls it face angle, open the path, close the path, yeah. which it kind of is, but it's actually loft that you're all trying to manage. So what happens if you deliver the loft, let's say to the right, face open to a zero pass, let's say your face is open to zero as you hit the ball. And it's got more loft on it because you've opened it by twisting it. You imagine like a bunker shot, you know, you yeah. twist it at yep. loft. What you then do is you try to deliver the handle further back because that brings that loft, still lots of loft on it because of twists in it, but it brings the face back to zero, brings it back to target. To bring the handle back, you need to throw right shoulder out. You need to stand the shaft up. You need to lean back. All the common faults that you see people trying to fix, it, it, they're not the faults. The fault, The faults is you can't, control the loft as it moves around your body so all the other movements are there to try and balance off a shot what the sticks don't have is any loft so you don't have that complication all you do is try and swing something fast the weight and the power of that moving generally gives you some and it's again a general term but it gives you some better angles in your swing and maybe some better ideas of realization of path down at the bottom but as soon as you give someone some loft and they've got to deliver not only the angle of that face, but the loft in relationship to that angle. And you've now got up and down in there, which you don't on those sticks because it's not measuring if it's going up or down. It's just measuring how fast it moves. Then the complications start to creep back in. So that's why they're good as well sometimes because they're not actually 
very realistic but you can you can trade off the feelings they give you for definite well i mean what we always like to do here is we always like to relate this back to me and my my yeah. team <laughs> the whole point of this podcast is for me to try to get information from smart people like you on how i can be better uh, so do you think me swinging a really heavy object would help out my issue of getting a little bit too steep and if i am swinging a heavy object like how heavy would you want me to swing? Cause I'll go out there and I'll start, I'll swing a 50 pound sledgehammer so, for the next well, yeah, three weeks yeah. straight. Well, if you should film yourself. It would be interesting for you to see. You should film yourself where you literally just bear grip two clubs, you know, get a six yeah. iron and a seven iron, two clubs, swing them. They're generally heavy enough for people to just let that weight get teased around their body by how they're moving and turning. I'll be shocked if you stand the club up on the way down and then yeah. through impact, stand the grip back up with two clubs, just bare gripped in your hands. I don't I'll, like I'll to film. Shocked. I don't like to film my swing because I don't like to look at it. So that's kind yeah. of, a pro- <laughs> that's kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah. You'll like to look at that more. It okay. Will, it will, I'll be, you can send me one. It'll be interesting yeah. to see if it is on a different I don't want to use the word plane because I hate the word plane, but if it's on a different angle, which you probably would know as plane, you know, on a different plane, I just despise that word. I think it confuses people more. They think they understand what it means, but we could do another podcast on that. Um, But um, you'll see your club setting on different angles and coming through at different angles. I would be surprised if you don't. So, yeah. That's an it, it just it's something interesting to to mess around with um, for me and and for I I don't know I, I know you don't like to generically tell people at home like what they should do but that's um this this seems like a training aid uh, in the making for me like I, I'm is. gonna go uh, yeah you, yeah yeah put a little cloth and some string on it and you've got like yes what if I find a- your power joint and all that kind of stuff and you you're like oh now you're done you're like you're the man if you do all that. Yeah, a rope and a and a towel and and a and a heavy weight at the end of it. Like you know, yeah. that's all I need. Um, Golf completed. Next yeah. sport, please. Can, can we can we wrap up so I can go swing some heavy stuff? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, we are. We're done. I think we're done. I think um, definitely just trying to get that advice before that uh, life changing moment starts is a good way if you do want to persevere. Don't, you don't I just it is that's the biggest thing I would say from this is you don't just have to stop and then you know hope you can work it out a pro will help you with anything a good golf pro will have the tools to be able to say yeah you can practice off course here's the best practices for you and if you're going to practice once a week I mean that's one of the things I used to say to students I used to say how often are you practicing how often are you playing and then I would start to tailor ideas and swing thoughts around those answers if someone says they play you know once every year and they're going to their boys or girls you know travel tippy thing you know they're going to their you know their, their golf holiday well i'm just gonna nudge ball position check grip give them one swing fork send them on their way so just you know don't don't disappear on your own you can definitely get some help out there thanks lou that was fun yeah it was always fun always fun chatting. my life's change so i feel like i've missed out as well there but um maybe we can share some hope for people whose life is about to change and if your life's about to change with marriage 
or with uh, young one coming along congratulations yes congratulations I think it's good, it'll be better than any golf highs you'll get so go anyway, find yourself a heavy sledgehammer and swing it in the back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely thanks for listening everybody as always leave comments down below and plenty of stars if you are enjoying the podcast and we will enjoy seeing you in the next episode